As Josh said this morning, as you see in your bulletin, if you would, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll be starting in verse 26. We'll be going through verse 31. The author says, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse worse punishment do you think do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant? by which we were sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Those are some pretty conclusive and finalizing words. Finality is a fearful thing. As we close chapters in our lives, look at different things. It can be good chapters. It can be hard chapters. But the good chapters, it's, it's hard to say this chapter is over, this chapter is closed. It's, it's final. And when you say there's no longer any sacrifice for sins, it's final. It's finished. That's what we're looking at. That's what we are going to face, and that's what we're going to talk about today. This is, again, a heavy text this morning, as Josh said this morning as he greeted us. I encourage you this morning, stick with me as we cover this. We are going to end. We're going to circle back to that beautiful truth, the beautiful truth of the gospel. But it is going to get very heavy first. Eric touched on this back in chapter 6. This morning again, we're going to look at the warning about turning from God, known as apostasy is a contemporary word that's used for that. Then we're going to look at the judgment for doing that and the gift that we have to overcome it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today, Lord. We praise you for this text. We praise you for the truth, not the truth of We do praise you for the truth that you deal with evil. But this is hard, Lord. This is hard to know that some never choose to turn to you, Father. God, may you help us this morning to learn from this and to learn more in more depth the depth of your love, Father. God, guide us by your spirit through this text, through this truth, through this hard word this morning, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 26. The author again says, For if we go on sinning, deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins there are two eternal realities awaiting us and when we cross into eternity they will be final we will either be eternally forgiven or eternally condemned We won't face both realities. We will face one or the other as 
mankind. What does it mean to receive the knowledge? What is the author talking about when he says receive the knowledge? Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all the nations under heaven. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Revelation 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe, and language and people. Every human being will hear the gospel. At some point in the near future, every breathing person will have heard the gospel at some point in their life, or at least had the opportunity. It will be in their people groups. They will hear the gospel, and then Christ will return. They will receive the knowledge. They will hear the gospel. They will receive the knowledge. The choice of what to do with that knowledge is ours as individuals. And that choice is made in this life, the life that we each have. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 30. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The choice is final. Some of us make that choice during our lives, early in our lives. Some of us make that choice early in our lives and walk a life of serving God. It is a life of trials and troubles, but a life of deep internal peace. Yeah, we get a little fearful. We get a little discouraged at times, but it is a life of deep internal peace. Some of us make that choice late in life, the choice to follow God, perhaps even on our deathbed. But that life is a life of internal turmoil and torment, running from God, being wooed by God, being pursued by God, but refusing to turn until that last minute. If we choose to walk in obedience that does not mean that we're sinless from that point on. But it does mean that if we truly believe, then we are growing. We are being sanctified. And there will be fruits from our relationship with Christ. As small as they may be to begin with, you will believe that Christ is the final sacrifice and still sin. We do that. I do that. 
Each of us as believers still struggle with our sinful flesh. But we are being sanctified as we talked about last week. Satan will use your sin, the reality of your sin, to discourage you. To tell you that you are a failure. And that you should just give it up and serve him. I say this. I bring this to you this morning because it is true. We as believers still deal with our sinful flesh. And I tell you this this morning because I want to bring you hope. And that hope, that reality that we do sin is not a license to sin. Oh, I'm just going to sin, so I'll just, it's okay. No, it's still sin. It's contrary to the nature of God. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? We should always grieve our sin. We should not be making excuses for our sin. We should always grieve our sin. We can get weary with our flesh. We can ponder and wonder or whatever word you want to choose to why do I still struggle with this? Why is this still a problem for me? We're being sanctified. We're growing. So if we can sin but still be saved, then what does it mean to deliberately sin? And please understand, when I say we can sin but still be saved, we will cross over into eternity not because we're perfect, not because of anything we have or have not done, but because of what Christ has done. Our sins have been paid for when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Remember that and know that. But then what does it mean to deliberately sin? Well, let's establish this truth first. To deliberately sin is the epitome of foolishness. It is foolish, to use that biblical term. Parents, perspective, have your kids ever made a choice? And you think to yourself, why would they do that? How could they be so foolish? Okay, parents, how many words have not used a biblical word of foolish, but a few other words? Ridiculous, dumb, stupid. We think it. If we say it, we need to ask forgiveness for it. But how often do we think, how could they be so foolish? How often have you taught your children what to do? Gave them instructions of how they should act, how they should behave, what they should do in a certain circumstance. Told them what the consequences would be if they didn't. And then gave them mercy when they ignored you. God gave Adam and Eve a perfect scenario in the Garden of Eden. It was perfect. It was beautiful. There were no thorns, thistles. It was just absolutely gorgeous. He told them what not to do. This is all yours. Just don't eat from this tree. Don't do it. He told them the consequences. He told them what would happen if they did. And then after they did... He taught mankind what sin was, what its effect was, what was needed to overcome it, 
And then he provided the sacrifice to accomplish it and the faith for each of us to believe it. The word translated deliberately here is used one other place in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, speaking to the leaders of the church. Shepherd, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. The word compulsion means being forced to. Peter is contrasting the word deliberately with being forced to. He says willfully, is, it was the translation of his verse, but it's the same root Greek word. So he's contrasting deliberately to being forced to. We are never forced to sin. We are tempted to sin, extremely tempted to sin. It feels like we are forced to at times, but we have a choice when it comes to sin. The phrase, the devil made me do it, is false. We have a choice. That choice is immense. And we cannot make, we cannot make the choice to resist temptation, to turn against sin, but for the grace of God. That's the only way we have the power to resist sin. So our choice ultimately is not to not sin. Our choice ultimately is to believe that God will give us the power not to sin. That's the choice. Satan is going to tempt us. We are going to give in to sin. We're weak. Hopefully less and less. But when we believe in Christ, he is going to cleanse us of all of our sins and prepare us for relationship with our Father. To deliberately sin is ultimately, and hear me this morning, to deliberately sin is ultimately to sin without being tempted. You say, no, wait a minute, what does that mean? Well, to deliberately sin, to intentionally sin, is to sin and not care. We're not choosing whether or not to commit this immoral act or whatever the sin is because of a reverence for God or how it's going to affect other people. We're simply choosing whether or not to participate in a sin based on whether we want to or not, based on whether it helps us or doesn't help us. You look at the choices that are being made in society today by people who are obviously not believers and the things that they are choosing to embrace and accept and trying to force on us to agree with, it's all about them. It's a, it's a matter of a whim. Do they, is it, does it benefit them or does it not? Do they want to do it or do they not? They're not worried about honoring God. They're not worried about other people. They are worried about themselves. They do not care what God thinks because they don't believe that there is a God. 
They have deliberately chosen and decided and determined in their minds that there is no God. They're wrong, and ultimately they know better. But they choose to accept that there is a God that is overall. We can care about what other people think because of what it costs us in this life, but not care about we, when I say we, we as human beings, as people with a choice, we can care about what other people think because of what it costs us. So if so-and-so, if I do this and so-and-so might not like me, so I don't want to do that. And that's the, the, the extreme, that's the limit of our consideration of why or why not, why are we do or don't do something. But then, as I said, not care about what God thinks. Deliberately sinning is ultimately denying that there is a God. Denying that we need a Savior. And denying that God gave us one. And is utter foolishness. And as a result, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. If they deny that they are sinners, if they deny that they need a Savior, and they deny that Jesus is the Savior, then there is no more sacrifice for sin. That is the sacrifice. So when it is denied, there's no other answer for those individuals. Verse 27 But a fearful, instead, there is a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. That leads us to the judgment. You say, well, Kevin, that sounded a lot like judgment. That was just a stern warning. Verse 28, we have a statement of fact from the Old Testament. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As I said, this is known as apostasy. I said it was a contemporary word. It's probably not so much modern contemporary as it's just, it's a word that's been long used to talk about those who resist God, who turn from God. Setting aside the law of Moses primarily refers to breaking the first of the Ten Commandments which forbids idolatry. The phrase itself is shorthand for a total rejection of the entirety of the Old Testament law that God gave to Israel through Moses. Those who set aside the law of Moses forfeited the right to become children of Israel. Setting aside the law of Moses then was not merely ignoring the law. They weren't just ignoring the law. It was a straight-up rebellion against God himself. And as a result, those who violated the law in this manner, who completely resisted it and cast it aside, based on the witness of two or three people, the author says, were put to death without mercy. What does it mean without mercy? No opportunity for pardon. No appeal. Two or three witnesses, you were put to death. It was final. This punishment for committing idolatry makes the words of verse 29 that much more severe. 
verse 29. So if that's the case, from verse 28, if that's the case under the Old Covenant, how much worse punishment do you think will, you, will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? The author here has listed three distinct areas in verse 29. Has trampled underfoot the Son of God despised who Jesus is, has profaned the blood of the covenant, which denied the cleansing power of Christ's blood, and has outraged the spirit of grace, refused the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There are potentially three sermons right there. In each of those points that the author brings out, anyone who is deliberately sinning is acting in all three of those areas. But essentially, those three areas define what apostasy is. Turning your back on the living God and the provisions that He has made for you. So what's the author ultimately saying? Those who disregarded the law of Moses received an earthly punishment, physical death. But those who disregard the revelation of Jesus Christ receive a worst punishment. That's what the author says. Eternal torment. God is a just God. And while it intensely grieves him, he will do what is necessary to keep heaven pure and holy for eternity. There is no sin in heaven. There will be no sin in heaven. So those who choose to surrender their lives to God, even though they, we, battle with sin in this life, we will enter into heaven sinless because God made a way. To those who deliberately choose to sin, to turn their back on our Savior Christ, to turn their back on the shed blood of Jesus Christ, to turn their back on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God has no choice but to cast them into the eternal fire. The choice that they deliberately made. Verses 30 and 31. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God is perfectly loving, God is merciful. But when an individual deliberately chooses to turn their back on God, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's the warning. Now that's where the author stops this morning. But I want to remind all of us what the alternative is. The most amazing gift, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 he himself, Jesus Christ, our Savior, bore our sins in his body on the tree 
that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Christ stepped out of his seat next to his father, was born in humility as a baby on earth, lived a life of obscurity for 30 years, lived a life of persecution and trials and troubles for three solid years, faced an angry mob, finally, to be sent to be crucified in one of the most painful and wretched deaths that any person could face. Laid in that tomb, and after three days was resurrected in life and victory over death. Why? To give us a way to cross into eternity with our Creator. Because without that sacrifice, without the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would have all been doomed to an eternity of torment. But because of his life, death, and resurrection, we each have the opportunity to believe, to turn to, to walk in the beautiful gift of salvation. Yet there are those who choose choose to deliberately turn their back on that provision, to deliberately turn their back on the provision of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, to deliberately turn their back on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in their lives to guide them, to help them, to encourage them, to strengthen them. To deliberately sin is to turn our back on the gift of Jesus Christ and His life, death, and resurrection. That, sh that thought again, should grieve us. Too many people are living in fear of apostasy. What if? What if? What if I? What if I? In the fear of what if I commit the unpardonable sin? And the reality of what's happening is, picture in your mind that they're dancing on the rim of the volcano. They're dancing around and looking down and seeing the smoke, feeling the heat. Looking back the other way, down the side of the mountain into the plush green pastures of peace and beauty and life. And they're choosing to dance on the rim of the volcano, wondering, have I or haven't I? Have I or haven't I? Went too far. Flirting with sin. Fearful that they're going to get eternally burned. But refusing to run down the mountain into the plush, veto, plush meadows that God has provided. And to run toward God. For those who have received the knowledge of the truth, the truth of the gospel, and yet reject Christ, the consequences are severe. For those who learn the truth and then deliberately choose to continue sinning, there is no other sacrifice that will cover their sins. When people deliberately reject Christ as the author of salvation, they reject God's most precious gift. They reject the only sacrifice that could have saved them. Don't let this morning's text cripple you in fear. Don't live wondering if you're okay. Live in the reality of God's most amazing gift, 
and seek to honor him with every breath that you take. Again, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. As you sit here this morning, as you listen in online, don't live in fear. If you have not yet made a confession of faith, if you've not put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are being wooed. That is what you're sensing. That is the conviction. Some may translate it as guilt that you're feeling about your resistance to God, your resistance. You, you know what sin is. You have an awareness of sin, but you're uncomfortable. Come to Christ. The altar is open today as it is every Sunday. Always, not just on Sunday. You can come to God any time of the week. Make that choice to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you have already made that decision, if you have given your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and you still struggle with sin, and Satan is using that to deceive you, to make you fearful, it's like, have you or haven't you? Have you or haven't you? It's trying to belittle you, trying to tear you down because of your confusion, because of your spiritual immaturity in some ways. Know that you are secure in the hands of your Creator. Know that when you continually take your struggles to the foot of the cross, it may be hours, it may be days, it may be weeks, but God is sanctifying you. He is sanctifying you. He has forgiven you. Your place in eternity is sealed. You have been justified. You have been declared righteous in the eyes of the God who created you. He is awaiting your arrival to see him face to face in eternity. But in the meantime, he longs for you to serve him faithfully, to grow in your faith in this life so that you can honor him, so that you can glorify him so that you can be his vessel of light to bring others into his kingdom. And when you face those who are deliberately sinning, who are, have deliberately made the choice to turn their back on God and his provisions, your God is bigger than those people. Your God is bigger than the, than the, than the wicked one that they serve. And no matter what they do to you, no matter what they say about you, whatever they try to force you to do in this life, they have no dominion over you for eternity. God is going to use those people as pieces in ways for him to be honored, for him to be glorified, for him to be revealed to others. We're not the judge of those people. We don't know who those people who have deliberately sinned, who have deliberately sinned who have made the choice for eternity. We don't know who they are. In some cases, we have a pretty good idea. But ultimately, we don't know. We're not their judge. But when we come up against sinful people, when we come up against evil, wretched people, God wants us to remember that we serve a sovereign God. He has secured us. He has us in the face of these individuals. He longs for each one to make the decision for him. He grieves the fact that he knows many don't. 
But he is empowering those who do, and he is carrying you. So I encourage you this morning, if you look at texts like this, and the enemy has you asking, is that me? Have I deliberately? Is it too late? No. If you're asking that question, I, I think it's safe to say no. I think it's safe to say that the enemy is trying to distract you, trying to limit your influence, trying to hold you down. But the truth is, if you're sincerely asking that question, then you are still searching. Maybe you haven't given your life to Christ yet. Maybe that's the decision you need to make. Maybe you have given your life to Christ, but you're not walking in the fullness of His provision. If you're asking that question this morning, I'm going to say that's one of the two states you're in. So I encourage you to search your heart and to know that God is in control. God is sovereign. God is over all of it. God loves you. He longs for you to walk in freedom with Him. So as I said, as always, the altar's open. Come forward. Sit in your seat. Go home and pray to God. Don't wait another day to embrace the reality of the gift, the beautiful gift of Christ our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we praise you for that gift. We praise you, God, that you have provided. God, we praise you that we don't have to live in fear. Fear of what if? What if I'm not good enough? We're not good enough. But God, praise you that we can live in the peace and the hope and the reality of knowing that you are perfect and that it's by your perfection that we will cross into eternity with you. It's by your forgiveness that our sins are washed away, by your provision of Christ's broken body and shed blood that our sins are washed away. God, thank you that we have the means, the miraculous means to have faith to know that you are God, that you made a way for us to be your child. God, may we walk in that reality this morning. May we flourish in that reality this morning, Father, as we seek to serve you, to rest in you, to glorify you, and to bring others into your kingdom, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.